Perkins, the editor-in-chief of the Outset Network. So happy that you're joining us on this podcast here. Uh, this is the show where we try to go a little deeper and, and learn more about the people um, and the ideas that make up our conservative movement. And this week I'm talking to someone who I think has made a huge impact, especially among conservative women, and that is Amanda Owens. Amanda Owens is the founder of an organization called Future Female Leaders, or FFL for short, and she originally began building the foundation of what would become Future Female Leaders um, during the 2012 presidential campaign. She was inspired, like me, by Mitt Romney. You'll see why we get along. She also wanted to make the conservative message relatable to women. Six years later, FFL has now gone from selling koozies to being something even more than that, the powerhouse, if you will, of a movement. They are the premier organization for young conservative women, reaching thousands through their various programs and channels. In addition to advocating for those conservative principles to women, they're also an organization that aims to be positive and empowering, which is refreshing seeing how our political climate seems to be increasingly negative and limiting and all that sort of stuff. So aside from our shared love of Mitt Romney, I also really enjoyed my conversation with Amanda because she is a fellow entrepreneur. Um, she leads a team just as I do here at Outset. And with that background, she's able to provide a lot of unique and, and great insights and also some resources for those of you who may want to go down a similar path of business and leadership. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Amanda Owens. Make sure to share it uh, and make sure to follow her in FFL um, and let them know how much you appreciate the work they're doing. Amanda, thank you so much for being on my show. Very happy to have you. How have thank you been? Steven. Good. Busy, but like you said, better than their alternative. So. Absolutely. Um, well, I, I've been wanting to speak with you for a while. Daniel Butcher, who works with both of us, um, set up this conversation. So I'm very thankful for that. Um, and I've, I've been wanting to talk with about FFL or, or with someone from FFL for a while because what y'all are doing, I think, is so amazing. Um, and I'm interested in knowing the story behind it and the story behind you. And so I just want to start by asking a little bit about your background. Where were you raised and, and what was what was your early, I guess, childhood like? I was raised uh, in Richmond, Virginia. So it's about an hour and a half south of D.C., which that was always a blessing. Is uh, It was always so, so amazing that I was able to go there from a young age. Um, I grew up there. Um, my family, my parents were small business owners. Um, so I kind of grew up in an entrepreneurial small business household. Um, I had a very strict, uh, rigorous childhood. Um, I had a job from the second I could, and that wasn't necessarily my choice, um, but my parents' influence. Um, but I learned very early on the meaning of hard work, uh, you know, learning, you know, you can, you can achieve anything in this world if, if you work your butt off. Um, and learning the true meaning of hustle. So I learned that, you know, that was kind of the theme of my childhood was working hard, uh, you know, being a good, honest, genuine person uh, was kind of what my family taught me very early on. What kind of job uh, did you get early on? What was that? Oh, gosh. Um, I worked at a gymnastics place um, because I was a cheerleader, so that kind of was a natural fit. 
Um, I worked as a cheerleading coach. I worked uh, as a pool attendant at a, a pool. Um, and then as I got a little bit older, um, I worked at my dad's company, um, helping him kind of with administrative tasks. So I was kind of all across the board with the whole job scene. And of course, before that, I had chores, household chores. So pretty well versed in the chores slash job area. Uh, but I, I think that those taught me valuable lessons early on that I still use today. Absolutely. Um, were your parents, you said that they were entrepreneurial and they, they instilled in you a lot of values. Um, I'm just curious if they were political at all. Were they engaged or were they active? Well, my dad is extremely conservative and my mother's kind of conservative, but not really uh, as, as involved. My dad was is very passionate about politics, but he's not necessarily involved. Actually, him being involved at, at an advisor level at FFL is probably the most involved he's really been in the political process. But he keeps he has a very big media appetite. He keeps himself involved and informed on those types of things. But uh, so they're conservative, but I wouldn't say that that kind of influenced me to be a conservative. I think more of the values that they you know, taught me kind of aligned with conservatism, obviously being from a small business family, I saw the struggles and the sacrifices and the hard work that, you know, goes into the everyday life of being a small business owner. Um, you know, but my dad, again, like I said, was very passionate, but it wasn't really, again, they didn't really push that on me. It was more of a love for our country is kind of another theme that went through our household. My grandfather was a uh, colonel in the Marine Corps, a Purple Heart recipient, uh, fought in the Vietnam and Korean Wars. Um, my mother, you know, that's my uh, mother's father. Uh, so very patriotic family. Um, and I think that that kind of inspired me. I was um, a total nerd, as you would probably say in elementary school. Uh, I loved the presidents. That was like my thing. I loved knowing fun facts about the presidents. I loved being able to you know, name them in chronological order, which I no longer know how to do. I've lost that uh, fun, fun trait. Um, but my dad and I would just always, uh, you know, have do those kind of nerdy activities before dinner. Is is just you know, kind of have presidential trivia, history trivia. Uh, you know, I really liked the early 1900s history. You know, so I was really involved in that, and then. I didn't really, they didn't really influence my politics until now, obviously, I am a conservative. Both of my sisters are conservative, but we're all three small business owners. So it just kind of happened to work out that we were conservative. Um, and of course, my dad loves it now, um, but he didn't have, he never was like, pushed us to be conservative, which I did because my dad and I are both very different kinds of conservatives. And it's almost like we aren't in the same political party sometimes because we are so conflicting on so many policy views and messaging and all of those types of things. So I think I'm appreciative for him, him and my mother never pushing politics down my throat. It was kind of I went into it on my own metamorphosis. Um, but now it is kind of a a bonding type of activity that, you know, me and my dad share a really uh, deep friendship and relationship off of, you know, politics and I'm, I'm so glad I get to share that particular journey with him. I definitely relate to what you said about, you know, 
your relationship with your dad and, and how he's more conservative or perhaps like a different kind of conservative. I definitely see that with my dad, especially with the past election. There were a lot of conversations where we generally aligned, but there were a lot of conversations where it was just not happening. And, and uh, so that's interesting. Um, so what led you to go into politics or what kind of sparked your involvement? Oh gosh, well I never thought I would ever be in politics. Um, I thought I would be, I, I studied business in college. Um, my senior year of high school, I was in a high school government class and you know, I, I heard my dad, you know, kind of talk about, the. it was 2008 election, so you know, he was talking about Obama and McCain and he would say something and then I'd go to school the next day and my teacher was a liberal, uh, so she would say very opposite things. Um, so that kind of led me, uh, I really found that interesting. So I found myself, you know, really kind of digging into politics as kind of just an extracurricular activity, kind of reading and informing myself on the issues. And, uh, you know, that was a really interesting election, especially with the rise of, of Barack Obama, you know, from, from one term senator to president. Um, so that kind of was the spark. And I remained kind of in tune with that through college and then it was the summer before my senior year my best friend uh went abroad for the summer and she was the one i did everything with and so i was like what am i going to do with my life <laughs> uh, on the social aspect so um i found myself it was 2012 election and i really really resonated with mitt romney i really really was a huge fan of him which i know you are as well <laughs> that's right and so I wanted to get involved, so I got involved in his campaign, and I just saw the media. I'm not usually one of those people that whine about the media a lot, but um, I saw how the media was treating him, and I didn't think that was fair at all. And that was kind of like my first taste of like media bias and those types of things. And so I found myself with so many thoughts, and I'm a girl that likes to get on her soapbox, and that's kind of where the Twitter account came to fruition, was my best friend studying abroad, me being bored in the summer, which led me to get, you know, involved in the political process from the, you know, for the first time, and then leading me to start up the bill. Now, that's interesting that, you know, you kind of say that you got started on, the, on Twitter. Um, how is that platform kind of how did it play a role in the beginning of your political involvement and how have you seen it changed, I guess, you know, in the, in the eight year or the, the four years since that? I think on a personal level, when I started it, I knew I was a conservative and I knew why I was a conservative. I could communicate that, you know, pretty effectively, but I also was a stubborn 22 year old who thought I knew the only way, I knew what was right, I knew what I thought was the right opinion, and I wouldn't say close-minded, I would just say I was a 22-year-old that thought I knew everything. Um, and the evolution of that is owning my own business and starting a conservative organization, it's, you don't know everything. <laughs> um, and so I have learned to listen more rather than push out comment, you know, commentary all the time. Um, I think that commentary is important, obviously, but I think that through this all, I've learned the value of listening. Um, I read a quote the other day, and it just really stuck with me, and, and I think a lot of conservatives, you know, can resonate with this. It's true maturity is knowing not everything requires 
your opinion and your commentary. And so I try to do that. Uh, so it's really given, FFL's gone from my own personal thoughts as a 22-year-old girl to the more robust opinion of conservative women. Conservative women, we all we don't all fit in one box. We represent a lot of different opinions. So we've, it's kind of gone from from micro to macro um, in that sense as well. Now, outside of maybe listening more, um, you mentioned that you went to school for business. Where did your political education come in? How did you start to build up um, the, I guess, more not academic, but I guess more the foundation for your conservative beliefs. What it, what influenced you? What did you start to read? How did you get that education there? Well, it was probably 2011, 2012, um, and I found myself just immersed in the election. Uh, but I found myself reading stuff, and I wouldn't quite completely understand. And when I don't understand something, I love to learn. And so I immersed myself in, you know, articles and and commentary and all of those types of things and just tried to build my political intelligence on you know issues and why I really really believe in them I, I'm, I, I don't want to just believe in something because it's a Republican Party platform I want to believe in it because I know I wholeheartedly believe in something and, and I have views that do sometimes conflict with the Republican Party platform and the conservative movement so I mean it's just I think I immersed myself very early on took a took a bunch of time it became a huge hobby of mine um and and that even happened after ffl started was you know like i said when i started ffl i thought i knew it all and i, I didn't and i still don't um so i think just keeping myself informed doing a bunch of research uh listening to a lot of different opinions and and that's kind of how i've grown kind of my philosophy and also another note is i am an avid bookworm uh, so books helped a lot too. I read books uh, that I don't agree with and books that I do agree with along with uh, business books as well. So that's just kind of grounded me out a little bit in my political persuasion. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned Mitt Romney, who, as you said, I love him. I love the guy. Um, were there Was there anyone else or organizations or other influences that you had when you first started? Uh, you know, that... It was really Mitt Romney for me. Um, I liked Rick Perry a lot too, uh, down in Texas when he was running. Um, but it was really, that was kind of my first time being really immersed in politics. And that was in the middle of the election. So obviously the leaders that are running for president are going to be like the leaders that people naturally look to that aren't really in politics. Uh, but once I went on, you know, I started seeing people that were in the conservative movement that were leaders in the conservative movement that people outside of the conservative bubble might not necessarily know or see it's, it's so funny because people are like oh my gosh i met katie pavlich this weekend and they're like who you know and like everyone in the conservative movement knows who katie pavlich is but it's not you know it's like their own little political celebrity so i think that i really looked to mitt romney uh, i thought he was just a gentleman a, a true american uh, he's a business owner and that resonated with me and, and and my family and i think that he was kind of my guiding light when I was getting kind of involved in politics. I think what you said about meeting celebrities that other people outside of your circle, that, that's the that's the nerd definition there. Like, that's how we know that right. we're political nerds, because we get excited about these people who no one else knows about. Um, well, that's really cool. And, and moving now into FFL, 
Um, it's cool to speak to another entrepreneur uh, because I, I've been interviewing media people, I've been interviewing political activists, but there's there's something about entrepreneurship and, and there's a whole other cast of things that we could talk about. What I'm really interested in is in addition to the Twitter account, when you actually, well, what was the moment that you decided that FFL could be an organization, a movement even? I think for me, um, I started in July and about October, again, coming from an entrepreneurial family, I was like, you know what, there is so many like political stuff out there, but there's not something catered to women. And I am, I am not shy about being very feminine. Um, and very, very sassy out there. And I wanted something, you know, I had all the Romney yard signs and t-shirts and all of that. I mean, I was decked out. Um, but there was nothing really that like catered to women, you know, young women in particular. And I wanted, you know, like a cute koozie to, you know, go and, and, and be at the bar at with my friends. And so I thought, well, you know what, if I like it, this audience on FFL is going to like it. So I created the pink and green koozie and I took my part-time, uh, my paycheck from my part-time job and I bought 500 of them. And I thought that, oh my gosh, this is the most like badass thing I've ever done. <laughs> like I didn't, I, I, that shows how, how crazy I am. Uh, but I didn't tell my parents, which is unheard of because I tell my parents almost everything. And uh, so I put them up there and it was just kind of an experiment. And what I found is they sold out. Uh, very quickly and I was like wow this is insane and it wasn't more of just like oh the koozie sold out it was that there was this thirst for women to feel represented not just in political apparel but just in the political process and I felt like that was being largely ignored and I did it the only way I knew how as an entrepreneurial person and that was a koozie but it stemmed from there um, and I was getting emails from girls all over the country that were in, you know followed up and film they're like thank you for speaking you know for me you know not only do you align with my politics but you're also a young girl and we just really love you know following this journey and you're just like a breath of fresh air the, the ffl account and so i saw that it was speaking to a, a large a large group and so i and that i've been largely ignored so around december so it's been about six months um i took a business plan to my father and I said I really think I'm on to something and um, I'd really like to you know just you know just talk about things big scale and see if um, you know this makes sense and so getting him up to speed was was hard as a anonymous Twitter account as you can imagine he's like this is not a, a realistic career or organization but um, I slowly brought him along and he bought on and uh, he, you know, believed in it, believed in its message. And um, so he, you know, helped me um, build it into a organization. And so I think that's just what sparked me was seeing how the message was so welcomed in the conservative. What were the early days when you decided that you wanted it to be an actual organization in addition to merchandise what were the early days like how did you recruit people to get on your team what was some of the outreach you were doing what did that look like well the team it was it was hard because again i was just some business student that had no really experience thankfully i had my dad early on as an advisor to help out with kind of the business 
acumen and, you know, helping me think through things, which I'm so incredibly thankful for. Um, but I came up with the idea of the cabinet contributor programs. And the first few people I told laughed in my face. Um, and that was incredibly defeating. As a 22-year-old, I, I didn't feel very confident, but I just felt there was this want and this need for girls to want to get involved. Um, and I wanted to, you know, help that. And so I recruited Kayla, who is currently our cabinet advisor. I met her through FFL, which is a true testament as to what FFL can do and bring girls together. Um, and me and her, we just put our heads together and we kind of put the bones on for the cabinet and the contributor program. And, and from there, we, uh, you know, put applications out there and we, we had no idea what to expect. But uh, thankfully, uh, we were blessed to have an overwhelmingly, um, you know, people were really wanting to get involved and we were overwhelmed with the amount of applications. And I just remember uh, I was still learning and evolving, still finding myself as cliche as that sounds, um, but finding myself taking it a day at a time. Um, but I still remember the interviews for the cabinet program, um, how nervous Kayla and I were. And, and, and know when you're getting interviewed for a job or, or media or something, you're usually the nervous one, but we were just as nervous as the girls. And so that was just one of those moments that you learn so much from. You know, I've always, my family has always, my parents have always thrown me in the deep end to learn how to swim. Um, and that's kind of what FFL has done for me too, is I have always had to learn as I've gone and um, I'm learning still. And every day is a learning experience. And I've always just tried to take it a day at a time. I know I felt whenever I started Outset um, having the audacity to say that I was the editor-in-chief and I had never really, like I had never been in that position before and I, I had these feelings of, do I really, is it appropriate for me to be the one leading this organization? And I think that's fair for a lot of leaders of a startup. Did you have similar feelings of kind of like, what am I doing? I feel a little, maybe you were in over your head, maybe you felt that way or you felt like you didn't have the experience or... Right. And I, I still feel like that. I feel like when I said founder, I mean, that's just like, yeah. of course it makes you sound like important, but I just learned to have a almost hatred for titles um, because I'm like, one, I know, as you probably know, there's many hats and being an editor in chief or a founder is, it's not, you can't really pinpoint yourself into, in, into one term, but definitely I felt very in over my head and sometimes I still do. Um, but again, you know, I, I was lucky to have, uh, you know, great friends that were supportive, um, great mentors, uh, that were always willing to give a listening ear and helpful advice. Um, and so I, I kind of leaned on them. Um, and again, my family, I leaned on them a lot is just on a, being able to talk to them at the end of a bad day, um, is so important to me and it's something so simple, but they're always willing to listen and, and put things in perspective because sometimes things might seem like the end of the world and it's not, you wake up the next morning and you keep going. But uh, that's kind of been like my my centering um, and kind of given me the confidence is having the support of my family, my friends and, and my mentors. How many, uh, how many girls did you have at that initial group of people in the cabinet? 10 and I thought that was <laughs> so, so many. and. It was for us because, I mean, here I am trying to navigate 
this new business of mine and then now we're account accountable for 10 of our girls um but that was such a fun i look back and i, I just smile thinking of that um uh, because it was just such a time where there was just constant learning I, we brought them to washington dc in april of 2015 and it was 10 of them and i thought it was just like an army i mean it's so many and i was so nervous because they had talked online for like six months but none of them had met in person and so i was like gosh i'm, I'm the leader of this thing i've got to like break the ice and i'm pretty awkward myself and like so I had so many ice-breaking methods planned, and uh, I was so nervous when we meet each other. And then they like all ran into each other's arms and acted like they were each other's best friends, and it like happened the best case scenario. And so that was just really awesome to see was just seeing how those ten girls really connected. Um, and that was a really cool adventure for me too. We we brought them in and we talked strategy with them. I mean, here we are, a bunch of young 20s older teens talking strategy of a business but i wanted them involved very early on and i still try to get the women involved as much as i can because i know i myself don't have it all figured out and all of a lot of ethical's greatest ideas have come from the members of our team and so we're so thankful for them and it's kind of it's not just my organization i kind of think of it as our organization I remember the first time that um, I, two years ago that I took our group of contributors to CPAC. And I know that you all have a huge presence at CPAC. It's it's hard to turn anywhere without seeing the skirts. Um, but it, it was I had one of those moments where the team was together and I just had a moment like, wow, this is this is cool. Like, I'm proud of, of the fact that we're even able to get together, but just proud of what we built. So I'm sure that you, like you said, with that DC trip, had the same type of type of experience. But I'd imagine even at something like CPAC, where they are advocating for your organization to other people, it's got to be cool just to step back and go, I, I built this. And that's that's a pretty fun feeling. Right. And it's it's at CPAC and other events, it's usually like I'm learning around my head cut off <laughs> as per usual. Yeah. But then it's like there's times of reflection, uh, whether it be, you, you know, not being able to sleep at night. And I, I reflect on those things or seeing some girl just be like really great at the media interview and I'm just kind of watching her and it is it is crazy to look back and see you know because every day when you go from day to day it seems all the same but then when you look back it's all completely different and year by year just seeing the progress that is made is, is really awesome. What would you say is the total if, if you can even just estimate what is the reach of FFL been? How many people have gone through the cabinet program? How many people do you Think that you've empowered? Do you have those numbers, or would you know? Um, on an on a team level, we're at 125 contributors and cabinet members. Um, our contributor program is pretty robust um, because it's freelance and it gives uh, girls the opportunity to contribute content to our website. Um, on a more audience base, our total social media is probably about 125,000 uh, direct followers, which is connected to the FFL account. Um, but when you add in the cabinet and the contributors' social reach as well, it's in the it, it's in the millions, the low millions of the reach that we have uh, daily. Um, so we have kind of created this conservative woman network and uh, used those platforms to get our message out. Um, and then our website, you know, we have so many 
so many categories on our website on and, and living you know your best life and it's more geared towards conservative women but uh you know we receive a decent amount of traffic on that as well so uh we've just been very thankful for our team that has always tried to spread our message and uh you know a share a retweet a like anything like that especially for something that is 100 grassroots and organic is appreciative and it helps move us forward it's, it sounds so crazy just a share but it is for someone that is uh, an organization that is organic it is incredibly important would you say because that's an incredible reach like all those numbers it's, it's incredible um would you say that that sharing and the engagement on social media has been the key or what have you found to be the key to that growth what what really made that happen it's definitely the sharing and i think that comes down to the fact that our contributors and our cabinets are young women just like our readers and so that's that naturally resonates with our audience and so i think that creating content that does resonate with our readers and it's not it's what we feel as well and so i think that that has been a huge proponent in sharing you know the the emails i'll get of oh my friend I, I found you guys because my friend posted this article about six things conservative women always hear and it's just it's crazy to hear how many people have found out about us through social media so what would you say is the central why behind ffl what would you say is your why statement or your mission or the big picture objective what are you trying to accomplish for me um on a personal level um, I grew up knowing I could be anything in the world. I was president of the United States if I wanted to, CEO of a company if I wanted to, stay-at-home mom if I wanted to. I never, uh, my family never put limitations on me, and, and I'm very thankful that they taught me that at a young age. Um, but for me, I grew up kind of in college age. I would read articles from Cosmo or Teen Vogue or those types of things, and I just be like, oh my gosh, like this. Uh, it's okay to represent a liberal ideology, but it wasn't speaking to me, and, and I felt like I wasn't really represented as a conservative woman. So I felt this huge void on a personal level for me that I, my voice wasn't being represented. There was no no one really speaking to conservative women directly, um, and so I felt a need not only for conservative women, but I felt like I didn't belong anywhere. And so needing a place to feel like you can belong and foster and empower each other as conservative women is really important to me. And that's a big part of what I want FFL to be. Um, I want women to be able to empower themselves through our content, uh, feel confident by wearing our merchandise, um, and and build meaningful connections with like-minded women through, through, our, through our social media network and events that we attend and of that aspect. Um, in the future, I'd really like to be kind of a center-right publication that speaks directly to conservative women and type of sort of magazine um just that lifestyle content without having the liberal agenda uh push down your throat as i often see going through the snapchat cosmo and and refinery 29 and bustle and all them which are all great publications but some of the content on there i'm just like oh come on but uh that's what i would really like to see is, is having a place where a conservative women really feel like they belong and can foster and grow you need to get on Snapchat. FFL needs to have those. Those. I don't know how you how you even get those done, but you need to get on Snapchat. Um, I'm interested as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, what does your typical day look like? Uh, what are the things that you're working on from day to day? Oh my gosh. Well, I love routine, 
but an entrepreneur rarely has a routine, as I'm sure you can uh, resonate with. Um, but I do try to keep myself in a structured kind of day. Um, I wake up in the morning, spend some time surfing uh, the web, reading some articles, uh, reading my big list of morning newsletters, um, and then from there I, I try to answer emails, um, try to make sure the content is ready to roll for the day, that's ready to go on the website, making sure everyone has what they need for that. Um, and then making sure my shipping manager has everything she needs to be able to ship orders. And um, I spend some time with Caroline, who is also my sister, but our website extraordinaire, as I like to call her. Um, spend some time, uh, you know, with her with graphic design and website development. Um, and then, of course, touching base with our inventory systems. Um, and just... It's just, it's ever-changing. Uh, sometimes I'll have phone calls with our staff. Um, sometimes I'm working on outlines for other organizations that we're collaborating with on. So it's just, it's I, I wear many hats, uh, and that's as to be expected because we're kind of at this uh, weird point where we've run so much, but we're st I'm still at a point where I have tried to keep our staff, full-time staff, very, very low um, in trying to just utilize the resources that, you know, I have and, and our team has and trying to use that. Um, so it's just each day is, is kind of crazy, but uh, in, a, in a different dynamic each day. But what I would also is recommend is for uh, young entrepreneurs is uh, I usually wake up and work until I get a bed. It's, I don't have a nine to five. I have a when I wake my when I wake my eyes up, when I wake up, and when I go to bed. Um, but the importance of self care is taking time for yourself. I did not do that for probably the first two and a half or three years, and it takes a huge toll on you. Every single event I go to, I would get wiped out with a sickness afterwards because I just wasn't taking care of myself. And so, uh, what I've tried to do recently is is incorporating a self care kind of routine in my day. I've actually, uh, this is hilarious because I'm like the least Zen person there is. Um, but I've just recently started a me meditation, a morning meditation. I do that every morning and I've found that's been so centering. Um, but doing those types of things in, in, in my day have helped tremendously because you want to think you're invincible and you can do it all, but you can't and you need to take care of yourself. And I, I think that that gets often very overlooked for entrepreneurs. It's, everyone gives great advice on hustling and hard work and being persistent and those are all incredibly important but also learning to take care of yourself is interesting. I agree um, and actually meditation is one of those that I, I've started doing that recently too and it seems like every single really successful person does it in some way shape or form like there's some sort of activity where they are just blocking it out to have their thoughts or be practice mindfulness and things like that so that's interesting that you mentioned that too. Um, I think another part when you're wearing multiple hats is how do you stay productive and how do you get everything that you need to get done? Uh, what are some strategies that you employ to stay productive and to, to manage the, I'm sure, the ever to, the ever growing and, and sometimes unorganized to-do list that you might have? Well, I think for me, I've always tried to multitask and that never leads to successful results. Um, and it's just, 
I, I used to just want to just mark things off, to do things just to mark to the, off my to-do list. And I think what is most important for me, the strategy I use is compart, uh, compart, compartmentalizing my day. Um, you know, going from creativeness to more of the business raw numbers, punching numbers, those types of things. Those are two, use two different, very, very different parts of your brain. Um, so not doing the, you know, compartmentalizing those parts of your days and making sure that you're in the right frame of mind to be doing those things. I can't just, I'm not in a position where I can just sit down and do a t-shirt. I have to get myself in that creative process. And so I think that that's important is kind of prioritizing your day. Um, To-do lists, I think, are always productive, keeping something in written form, um, because I know in my head, there's only so much room in my head to uh, keep everything in mind that I need to do. So I think that that's important. Very cool. Um, I now want to go into some rapid fire questions, but they don't require a rapid fire response. It just means that I can't, I'm trying not to expand that much to kind of give you the, mo- the, the most open space that you can to answer. Um, and the first one that I want to ask is what is your media consumption diet? So when there's all this news that happens, how do you, how do you consume news? Well, I'm in an awkward spot because when I was in college, I had not all the time in the world because I was still pretty busy, but I had the time that I needed to like make sure I was involved, informed and involved in what was going on. And now I, there's like two facets of, of me and that's the conservative within the business person. So I, I find myself the business pulling on me more so I don't get to stay as informed on every little thing that's going on where a few years ago that was different. Um, so I think that I spend a lot of time in the morning kind of seeing what's driving the day. Um, my newsletters that I'm subscribed to are a huge part of my media you know, appetite. Um, and then just reading articles throughout the day, kind of I don't get to spend as much time on social media as I did back in the day, but uh, just you know, spending time scrolling through and kind of seeing what's, what's trending that day. Um, and then I get a few few moments before I go to bed to kind of wrap up and see what the day happened. Uh, I try to keep CNN on throughout the day, but obviously when I'm focusing, I don't get to focus in on, on what's going on on CNN. Can you tell us what a few of those newsletters are? Yeah, uh, political playbook and political media, that kind of media is kind of just keeps me going on what's going on in media up in D.C. and playbook kind of just encapsulates everything that... Uh, is going on, whether politics, media moves, all of that. Um, and then I love Morning Brew. It is more of a business-minded one. Um, and it just kind of talks about what's going on in the fiscal and financial world, uh, which I find really interesting, and it's kind of a break from politics. Um, and then I am actually uh, subscribed to Bright. It is a uh, project of the Federalist, and they are five female editors break down uh, politics. It's kind of like the skim, but for conservative women. Um, so I, I read them, give them a read. And, um, so it's probably about five. And then I also have the skim, but sometimes I just have to prioritize them. But um, And then at noon, CNN's cover line, I really like that one. Uh, so it's probably about five or six newsletters that I read throughout the day. Um will stay in theme with the reading thing. Um, 
what, what would you say is that, and I know this is challenging, but what's the number one book that you would say has influenced you the most or made the biggest impression either in terms of politics or business? I say this sounds so incredibly cliche and I'm embarrassed that I'm saying this, but I read it and I, I resonated with it so much, but it is um, Girl Boss and it's by Sophia Amoroso, and, or I probably butchered that last name, um, but she was the founder of Nasty Gal. Uh, which is a online women's store and just reading how her journey resonated with me so much and it just it, I mean I laughed and I smirked and I smiled and I just I, I really really resonated with it and I finished it in a day and uh, it's that book is so overexposed <laughs> like the Kardashian but I I it was a great book and uh, another few books is The Good News is by Dana Carino uh, that was kind of like mentoring 101 into a book, uh, which I thought was really awesome. She gave some really great tools and tips for women that want to work in politics. Um, so I think that that's one of my favorites as well. And then uh, Assault and Flattery by Katie Pavlich. That, I read that in a little bit, I think it came out in 2013, 2014, and it was kind of addressing the war on women. And I really loved reading that uh, because she kind of, encompassed what I was feeling um, so that was a great book for me and I've reread it a couple times just because I think it is packed full of you know some great you know meat on uh, the liberals treatment of women and just for everyone listening we will uh, include the I'll, I will include the links of newsletters and the books in the show notes so we can get that documented um, now this one's a little different but it's still books what is one book that you most frequently give to people? I would say um, Dana Perino's The Good News Is, and then also most more recently uh, Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg, and also uh, Secrets of Six Figure Women. Um, I think it's by Barbara Stanny, uh, and that's not necessarily, you know any girl that wants to make six figures. It just, it create, it just talks about habits that successful women adapt and use in their daily life. And I find, I found it really interesting and, and stuff that I want to doc, you know, incorporate into my daily routine. So I, I found myself doing that with others. Um, getting a little political, what is the issue or the issues that you see um, as issues that are coming up and down the road and will be kind of the big issues of the future? Uh, in my humble, unimportant <laughs> opinion, um, I would say probably the debt. It gets so overlooked because it's not necessarily a sexy issue, uh, but no one's talking about it, and it's incredibly crippling. Um, and along with that, you know, the student debt crisis. I mean, just looking at the numbers on how much that has ballooned since 2009 is astonishing. Um, and I think that again. Washington is kind of ignoring that and it's it needs to be addressed and it needs to be having a common sense approach into battling that uh, and kind of lowering the cost of college tuition and also having a, 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 a plan to help you know people that have graduated pay for it. Um, so I think that that's important. The Democrats kind of had a hold on on that plan uh, in the 2016 election. Um, and the Republican politicians, much to my disappointment, didn't talk about it much, but there were a few, and then Rubio addressed it a little bit. Uh, so that's something that I would like to see. I, I'm much more of a fiscal person 
Uh, those are kind of my media issues that I care about uh, and resonate with uh, more than social issues. So I don't think I speak <laughs> for a majority, but that's what I think is the most important. Sure. Um, I think of I think of big opportunities where messages get out. So I, I think of Super Bowl ads. A lot of people see it. I think of I don't know advertisements in New Hampshire during the election. A lot of people see it or or something like that. If you had a platform where you could get a message out to millions of people at the same time, what is that message that you would like to get out the most? Positivity. <laughs> um, and that kind of would tie in with conservatism. Is I think conservatism at its core is very positive, very optimistic, um, very inclusive, and empowering. Um, and I think that that gets lost in the day-to-day -day shuffle of the agenda of, of our politicians and people on Twitter going back and forth and arguing with eggs. Um, so I think that having that sense of optimism and positivity is so important in messaging. And I think that's one of the reasons for FFL's success is we've tried to stay above the political fray and, and the name calling and the, and the blame game and, and trying to be a, a source of positivity in a very negative world. We are reaching the end, but I wanted to give you an opportunity before we talk about where people can find you and, and, and FFL as well. Um, I want to give you an opportunity to just ask something of my audience. If you had anything that you wanted to um, call them to action on or, or ask them, um, now is your chance to do that. I think it's so important to um, remember that everyone is a person, and that sounds so simple. Um, and I'm guilty of this as well, very guilty, and I try to make, I've tried to make substantial changes against that, but it's so easy to get on social media and to down someone or quote tweet a snarky comment or villainize someone, and, and I think what's, I see that, and, and I, again, I've engaged in that as well, but I see it, and it just, it's disheartening because at the end of the day, we are all, we are all humans, we all have things we all have battles we're fighting, sometimes battles no one knows anything about. Um, and we should just treat each other with a little more kindness. And I don't want to sound, oh, be kind, be kind. But, I mean, really, I mean, stay humble and be kind because you don't know it all. And, you know, you don't know what kind of day someone's having. And I've, I've felt that personally, and that's kind of what I've tried to adapt uh, is be less... Uh, more, I wouldn't say rude. I can't find a good a, another word for it, but just more, just more understanding. I think when people need to listen more and understand more. Sure. I, I think that would probably, maybe not solve all the challenges we have, but get us in a better place to solving them. Right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Um, where could people find you, and where could people find FFL and engage with all the content you put out? Um, our website is probably our our major nucleus for all things FFL, and that's at www.futurefemaleleader.com. And then along with that, we have our social channels on, we're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and Pinterest. Those are our four main uh, social media networks, um, and it's FFL underscore of underscore America. Um, and then for me personally, I'm at Amanda underscore at underscore, so many underscores, FFL. Um, and that's just kind of my own personal musings and uh, just kind of 
explaining my life as, a, as an entrepreneur, a small business owner, and, and my unimportant opinion. <laughs> awesome. Well, I encourage everyone to give you a follow. I also encourage everyone to go check out the merchandise um, because it, it's cool stuff. Like, it is creative stuff, and that's what I think is, is so um, – I think it gives it such a rallying effect that uh, – what I say is that it doesn't really matter why people come to your organization it matters why they stay. And I think if that brings them in, there's a whole lot of stuff that's making them stay as well. So um, I really appreciate the work that you and FFL have done and everyone there. Um, thank you for taking the time to come on my show. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks one more time to Amanda for coming on the show. And thank you for listening. If you want to hear other podcasts on the Outset Network, just go to outsetmagazine.com slash podcast. You can also find Outset on the social medias at Outset Network on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can find me at Stephen underscore Perkins on Twitter and Instagram, facebook.com slash Stephen Perkins. And until my next episode, whoever my next guest may be, take care. Thanks for listening.